0: Welcome to the Heart of the Father Podcast. We're glad you're here and able to listen in. We're praying the Lord will speak to your heart through this message and that you be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. A couple of weeks ago, I felt like the Lord put on my heart to just share. Um, the topic in general is called "Living under the Father's Smile." I've called it joy in the journey, and I find and have found over the years that there's a lot of believers where they struggle in their relationship with the Lord, and they're not quite sure what He thinks about them or how He relates to them, and that's a problem uh, for many reasons. But my heart is for all of us to walk before the Lord with confidence in His embrace Confidence in His purposes, confidence in His working in us, that He's going to complete the good work that He began in us. Amen? So, I want to go after this a little bit. This is really important for us as believers. I'm going to start with Romans chapter 14, and we're going to head on in to this. Romans chapter 14. You're familiar with this verse. Most of our time is going to be spent in 1 John, but I want to open with Romans 14, verse 17. Here's what it says. For the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking. It's not about the externals primarily, but righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God is what in essence? It's it's really where Jesus reigns and rules and has authority and he's in charge. That's what the kingdom is. So when we're walking with Jesus and we're under his lordship, these characteristics should be part of our lives. Righteousness, peace, and joy. But they're not just simple righteousness, peace, and joy. They're powerful, life-changing life-altering, mood-altering, mind-shifting forces of God and His working. So righteousness is right standing with God. Would you agree with that? When Jesus made us righteous by His blood, He put us into right standing with God. That's the internal aspect of it, right? So we should be able to walk before the Lord recognizing that I'm in right standing with God. Okay, this should be normal Christianity. You following me? Okay, there's the internal part. There is an external component to all of these things. When we are righteous internally and we're in right standing with God, how should that reflect in our lives outwardly? We should walk and live in a way that reflects that we're in right standing with God. The way that we live our lives rightly honors the Lord. So this is part of, when Jesus is Lord of our life, He doesn't just give us positional truth in order to make us happy. He doesn't just say, I've made you righteous with my blood and you're in right standing now so you can go out and do whatever the heck you want and everything's going to be okay. No. There's an internal reality that He plants inside of us and it's supposed to shape the external reality of our life at the same time. Would you agree with that? Okay. So righteousness... Right standing with God causes me, by the power of grace and the power of the Holy Spirit, to live a life that rightly honors God. This is the kingdom. Peace with God is reconciliation. So now, instead of being God's enemy, were you the enemy of God? Okay, there's only three of us that were, so I guess the rest of us aren't saved. We still are the enemies of God. Every person outside of Christ was the enemy of God. Why were we the enemy of God? Because we did whatever we want, and essentially, we just told him, just keep that to yourself. I'm going to do what I want. If you serve what I want, then you're okay. Otherwise, stay away. That's rebellion, and that's not okay. But now, through Christ, we have been reconciled to the Father. Now, where there was enmity and we were enemies, now there's friendship with God, where we're actually in fellowship. And not only that, we're born of His Spirit. We actually have the DNA of God inside of us by His Spirit. The Spirit of Christ lives inside of us. We're reconciled and we're rightly aligned with Him. And so there's an external component of that peace. When we walk in that peace and we take hold of that, what happens in the external of our life? Well, in circumstances that are bad, we have a peace that makes no sense. Right? Is that what the Bible promises? Make your request known to God, and the peace of Christ will guard your heart and mind. And it is the peace that what? It surpasses understanding. This doesn't make sense. You I enjoy church history, as you probably know, if you've been here any length of time. I, I love reading. And I know some of it's morbid where you read the, you know, like Fox's Book of Martyrs and the, there's a new one now that's for the 19th and 20th century. But, but reading the stories of martyrs who gave their life for Jesus and the, the witness that they put forth to the unbelieving masses that murdered them, burned them at the stake many times, of being at total peace and total calm is remarkable. I love particularly Polycarp, disciple of John, the apostle, in his old age, 80-something years old, they took him and they were going to burn him at the stake unless he recanted Jesus. And they said, old man, you can still live longer if you will just recant Jesus. Of course, they always go after the leaders because then that affects if the shepherds scatter then the sheep scatter with it. Just recant and you can live your life out. And Polycarp is there, tied to the stake with bundles of sticks around him with oil on them. And he just starts laughing. He's, Why why would I deny him all the days of my life? He's only done good to me. And then he says, Bring the fire bring the fire. He wasn't saying it like we say in revival services. Lord, bring the fire. No, he said, bring the fire. Because there was a peace that even in a circumstance that was ridiculously difficult where he should have melted down because of the internal peace that he had with God and the confidence that he had that he was reconciled and right with the Lord. He's like, all you can do is take my life. That's the way Jesus talks to the church in Sardis, right? In the book of Revelation, to the letters to the seven churches. He says, the devil's going to put some of you in prison for ten days. Look, no big deal. Just be faithful unto death. Don't fear those who can kill the body because that's all they can do. They can do nothing after. I tell you who to fear. This is Jesus now. Fear the one who can cast both body and soul into hell. We live in the righteous fear of the Father. But peace has ramifications in our circumstances. It also has ramifications in our relationships. Because the Bible teaches that because we are reconciled to God and we're all brothers and sisters, then we should live at peace with one another, right? We're supposed to pursue peace. As far as it concerns you, pursue peace. Seek after it. It's important to the Lord that we live in oneness. So I would encourage you, like if you have relationships in your life where you, when, when you see people, you cringe... How many know people like that? You see them and you just kind of look down. You don't want to meet, you don't want to have eyes meet. Brothers and sisters, how many have relationships in your family? There's probably more hands. The Lord's desire is for there to be reconciliation, especially among brothers and sisters in Christ. That peace that we have inside is supposed to translate into living at peace and oneness with each other. So, there's an internal and an external reality. And then joy is the one that I wanted to emphasize for just a moment before we move into 1 John. What kind of joy is this that we have in Christ Jesus? When Jesus is ruling, what kind of joy do we have? How did Peter describe it? Yeah, yeah. He said, you greatly rejoice with joy, inexpressible, and full of glory. This is outrageous joy. This is outrageous joy. How many have felt outrageous joy in your relationship with the Lord? Okay where you just wanted to shout and jump and laugh, and it's not your personality. There's just something that is so happy about being with Jesus and Him being in control of your life. There's an outrageous joy that comes from the Holy Spirit. All of these things are fruits of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And so, one of the compelling witnesses to the value of Jesus is that He is the center of joy in our lives. Whether everything is hard or everything is good, Because God is most glorified in us. How many know this? When? When we're most satisfied in Him. The most compelling witness of the reality and the beauty of Jesus in our lives is when we are so satisfied in Him, where He is the center of our joy, no matter what the circumstances. read the story of a, a brother who was in a communist country, persecuted for his faith, he was thrown into prison because he had been a leader in the house churches. And they repeatedly beat him. So they tried to break the leader so that word will get out. They renounce Christ and so then everybody else will get depressed. And he was in there for a long time. And they had daily beatings where they took him out and they just pummeled him and they beat him. And all he had was his cell with a hole in the ground. And he had one blanket, and it was cold. He didn't have enough to eat. And they took him out one day for his beating. And after he was beat up and bloodied and bruised and exhausted, they brought him back, threw him back into the cell. And in the cell, he saw that there was somebody else in the cell. And they had taken his blanket and wrapped up in his blanket. And he just broke down and started to weep. It was just too much. The only thing that I have in this world is that blanket for comfort. And he began to weep, and he's crying and praying and weeping. And the man inside of the blanket said, why are you crying? He said, the blanket is the only thing that I have that brings comfort, and now that's gone because you've taken it. And the man turned to him and said, no, don't you... no, Jesus is your ever-present possession. And then the man disappeared. And then the blanket wasn't nearly as valuable. He was like, Jesus is with me. There's reason to rejoice even in the worst circumstances. powerful. Since righteousness and peace and joy are our current experiences as believers, do do you agree with that? There must be a current expression of the kingdom of God happening right now by the Holy Spirit. Would you agree with that? Would you agree with that? So most of the occurrences in the New Testament that talk about the kingdom of God are future. When Jesus comes again, he's going to establish his kingdom. He's going to subdue, subdue all of his enemies put every enemy underneath his feet. He's going to rule and reign with a rod of iron. But there is and there are expressions of the kingdom of God wherever Jesus is Lord. This is what we want to have in our body here. We want to have hearts that bow to Jesus, recognizing him as the supreme good, as the supreme desire, as the preeminent one in all of our gatherings because wherever he's preeminent over hearts and people there's a manifestation or multiple manifestations of his kingdom it's not the fullness we don't have the fullness of righteousness which we'll have we don't have the fullness of peace which we'll have we don't have the fullness of joy but we've got joy and righteousness and peace in the Holy Spirit when we gather together and when we live and walk in such a way that Jesus is preeminent and is the Lord these are our, per- our current possessions. Righteousness, peace, and joy. 1 John chapter 1. This is where we're going to spend most of our time this morning. I'm talking about having joy in the journey in our walk with the Lord, living as people who are under the Father's smile. 1 John chapter 1. We're going to start reading in verse 1, verses 1 through 10. We're going to go through several of these verses. Verse 1 of 1 John 1. What from the beginning we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. Who's he talking about? Come on, who's he talking about? He's talking about Jesus. And the life of was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Verse 3, what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also. John, why are you proclaiming this to us? So that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with the son and with his son Jesus Christ. So get the point here. Here's we're proclaiming this what John is teaching here. I'm telling you these things because I want you to join and share with us in our fellowship with the Father and the Son, the Lord Jesus. So there's a living relationship, there's a living fellowship. What is the Greek word for fellowship? Good. You guys are awesome. Greek scholars. Koinonia. Koinonia means a sharing of life. It doesn't mean having a cookout and talking about football over hot dogs. That doesn't mean that. That's not what it means. It means that we're sharing life. And in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, when they did koinonia, they sold their houses and lands and gave the money to poor people in the congregation. That's how they did koinonia. So when you do koinonia at Starbucks, which I'm not recommending Starbucks, but nevertheless, if you're already hooked in there... Find another place like Black and Brew. Starbucks is so in your face with all of their anti-God stuff. Like, Just something to think about with your investing your money. Um, you don't go to Starbucks? No, you made me lose my place. All right, we're in verse 3. We're talking about fellowship. So the point of all of this is fellowship. So when you go out and have coffee with a friend, here's the point, what koinonia might look like is you saying, hey, how are you doing? Well, doing okay, struggling a little bit. What are you struggling with? Well, not able to pay my rent this month. Oh, koinonia might look like the Holy Spirit saying, get off your wallet. Write the check. Give the money. This this is biblical koinonia. I I like church picnics, I like playing the softball, I like all that. That isn't koinonia. Koinonia is a living relationship where we have a shared life. That's what they did in the book of Acts. And this is the greatest miracle, I think, in the book of Acts. There are a lot of miracles. I like I like a lot of them. They're all amazing. But the greatest miracle in the book of Acts is that after the Holy Spirit fell. Nobody counted anything they owned as being their own. Where has that ever happened? Like, what if we did a survey in this room? You want to? No, you don't. What if we did a survey in this room and go, hey, how do you view your stuff? Would, Would it be okay if we gave your stuff? Like, somebody has a need here. Can we actually have your... Now it's cash app, right? I can't keep up with the technology. Though. I really can't. Like, I still use a checkbook, okay? Can, can I just confess that? I still write out checks. I still have paper pads and all of that stuff. Um, that's just, that's my old schoolness. But, but what if we said, hey, we're just going to take your money and pay for this brother, this sister and their stuff like that. I mean, you, okay, let's admit you'd be outraged you'd be out the door so fast. But, but here's a real thing. When the Holy Spirit does it, this was not coerced by the apostles. They didn't go, hey, let's start a commune. No, it wasn't a commune because they weren't told to do by somebody up except they were told to do by the Holy Spirit within them. And they did it organically and naturally and they surrendered and laid down their stuff. They really did. No one, this is a miracle of huge proportions, No one counted anything that they had as being their own. This is not a commune. This is the power of the Holy Spirit changing the fearful, self-centered heart that clings to what's mine and won't let you have it. From the time we were little toddlers, right? What have you learned if you've raised children? No, that's mine! And if you have ever dealt with the government, you know, they don't only say what's mine is mine. They say what's yours is mine too. This is miracle territory. So John's saying, I'm writing these things to show you what it's like to have real living fellowship with the father. And notice this word fellowship, whenever you're reading a passage and there's words that are repeated over and over again, you should take note of that. Because he's trying to get a point across. He's trying to tell us something. He's going to talk about fellowship in this passage four times. And he's going to talk about joy starting out. And here's the joy of our lives. This is the reality. The joy of your Christianity is not coming down to the altar and getting delivered. That's part of the joy. But the joy of Christianity, the joy of being united with God is God himself. It's fellowshipping with him. And apart from fellowship with God, you'll never be a joyful person not really. The joy of knowing Christ is what propels us. I can tell you that you can get into duty and we can force you in guilt manipulation that you should be doing this and you should be doing that, but that kind of pressure doesn't really work unless it comes from inside pleasure. If there's a delight in the person of Jesus, this is what you see in Paul in Philippians chapter 3. I count everything else to be dung. Dung. Compared to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish, that I may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own, but that which comes through faith. And then verse 10, he goes on this longing. See, the pressing that comes further in that passage in verse 13 and 14, I press for the mark of the call of God in Christ Jesus, wasn't His self-will determination, I'm going to achieve something, everybody's going to recognize that I'm someone great, nothing like that. It was that, I've got to know you, God, I've got to know you, the greatest treasure, the, the power of the gospel. You know, Jesus didn't just die to set us free from sin, He did do that. but. 1 Peter 3.18 I think is so succinct and powerful of what the purpose of the gospel is. Jesus Christ suffered and died to bring us to God. This is the joy in the heart of Christianity is that we're actually united with the living God and we're sharing life with Him. How good is it to be hooked up with somebody that's so smart, so rich, so powerful, and so eternal? How good is that? This is what births joy in us, and it comes out in all kinds of ways. John's saying, I want you to share in the fellowship that we know. We've walked with this man. We saw him crucified. We saw him resurrected. We watched him ascend to heaven from the mount. But I want to tell you something. There's a living fellowship now by the Holy Spirit that is awesome, and amazing, and this is what I want you to experience. This is the heart and soul of the gospel. Is there, can can I just ask you? I know we have twinges of it, but is there a compelling joy and longing inside of you that you would call the center of the joy of your life? Would you say that Jesus Christ himself is the center of your joy in your life that radiates. When when you are by yourself and you think, what is the thing that makes me the most happy? Because that's going to be the most compelling preaching that you ever do. You can preach on a street corner? Great. Love it. You can preach in a grocery store, you can preach everywhere, you can preach from the pulpit, but the most compelling preaching all of us ever do is to actually have a life where Jesus is the center of our joy, and everything revolves around Him, and the way that we talk, and the way that we live. Come on, y'all. You ever been in love? How many been in love? And you dated. Okay. What was your first thought when you got up in the morning? What was your last thought when you went to sleep at night? There's a compelling, drawing, longing love. This is just human, but the divine one is so much bigger. And I can tell you that the beloved in heaven is like a thousand times better than your beloved on earth. Probably more than that. And so I want to ask... What is the compelling center of your joy? Because that's what fellowship brings. It brings joy. Verse 3, again, we've seen and heard and we proclaim to you also so that you may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ. Verse 4, these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. He's not just talking about Himself as John or as the apostles, he's saying, our joy together is going to be made complete when you're in fellowship, when you're in a living relationship that becomes the center of the joy of your life. This is the most compelling Christianity that there is. That's why you see the compelling witness in countries like Iran or Saudi Arabia, or North Korea, or China, where they know that when they make a stand for Christ, they might get their house burned down, or their wife raped, or take a knife in the gut, or have a bullet shot, or their church burned down, because they don't have any other center of their joy. Their joy is rooted in the person of Jesus Christ. The thing that we fight against in America is that we have all kinds of joys out there, And it dilutes and distracts. But here's what we have to regain. We have to regain the fact that Christianity, at its heart and soul, is about having a living relationship with the living God who is infinitely delightful, who is infinitely glorious and beautiful. And see, we don't even get much amen on that. But I want us to think. Fellowship with God is the goal of the gospel. That's what koinonia is. God has called us into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, 1 Corinthians 1, 9 says, and 2 Corinthians 13, verse 14 says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. The whole Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were called into fellowship with them. It's powerful. Verse 4, fellowship is what produces joy. So I'm going I'm to give you essentially one point of truth and follow his line of reasoning through this passage because it becomes really powerful. Fellowship with God is what produces real joy. It's the kind of joy that is excessive. It radiates. It makes you seem really weird. I don't mean act the fool. But, but there's something that happens on the inside. It's powerful, and it changes our loves. Here's the power of the gospel. When we get in fellowship with Jesus, his love is so phenomenal, it melts away and dwarfs all the other loves of our life and subjugates them. So now we have our earthly beloved. I love my wife, y'all. You know. She's amazing. I love my children, they're amazing. They're not the center of my joy. I found someone better. He rescued me when I was the stupidest little flesh-driven punk you've ever saw. He said, I like that guy. And the angel said, what? He's an idiot. Because that's, that's what I'm talking about. I like to take those kind of people and totally shift the way that they're bent so beautiful. God delights in that. Sharing our life with Jesus is the center of our joy. Verse 5, let's look at this. This is the message which we have heard from him and announced to you. What is that message? You would think he was going to say God is love, would you not? He doesn't say that. This is the message. This is the beginning point of actually having real fellowship with God. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. So here's the main point of verse number five. To fellowship with Him, we have to live in the same space with Him. What kind of a space does God live in? Come on, y'all. You're not preaching good this morning. Come on. What kind of space does God live in? It's light. And what is light signifying here? When he said God is light and in him there is no darkness at all, what is he talking about? That God is just brilliant and radiant and he shines light? What's he talking about? Say it. Yeah, he's talking about he's holy. He's different. He's righteous. He has his own aura that comes out of him. His character is that he's holy. He's different. So, here's the point. If you want to really have fellowship with the Father, then you have to understand, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So, can I ask you a question? If you have an unclean spirit, how do you act? Unclean. If you have a deaf spirit, how do you act? If you have a blind spirit, how do you act? If, if you have the Holy Spirit, how do you act? Oh. He shapes us into his own space. The first message we need to walk in true joy is that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Let's go on with verse 6. This is really important because our joy is hinged upon us walking in full fellowship with the Father. That's where it comes from. So if we want to walk with joy and confidence before the Lord, we have to get in His space. We have to live where He lives. So here's the message, John says. God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. He's perfect light. Everything is exposed. Everything is revealed. Everything is shown for what it really is. This is the beauty of God, and this is the beauty of being processed by the Holy Spirit. How many have been at the altar or under your bed or under your chair, and God has just been piercing you and like showing you your stuff and revealing that to you? How many thought that was amazing mercy and grace? But here's the thing that happens, and I found this in child rearing. When our kids, and yes, we do use the switch and the rod, not anymore, they're a little too old for that, but we, we did, why? Because the Bible commands it. I know that doesn't fly very good today, but that's real. And there's a reason for it. Because we found this out. When we would discipline our children, when they know that they did something wrong and their heart wasn't right, they weren't happy. When kids know that they've gotten away with something, that doesn't make them happy. They're they're miserable because they're conflicted in their heart. They know that they've done something wrong, and yet they can't get resolution for it because they're hiding it. See, that's not good. That's not good parenting, and it's not good for the child. We found that when our children would confess, and they would get discipline, which they knew that they deserved, they became excessively happy. That's true. They'd run around so happy, their heart was happy. I'm free. I know I've been cleansed. I've been washed by the discipline that was given to me. It was right. My heart's happy and free. So, verse six says, if we say that we have fellowship with him, and yet walk in the darkness, we what? If we say that we have fellowship with him, oh yeah, I'm a believer, I love Jesus, but we walk in the darkness, which is walking, you're gonna find out here the light and the darkness is sin or righteousness. That's that's what this passage is revealing. If we say that we have fellowship with God and yet we actually walk our lifestyle in darkness, which is sin. John says this several times in his book. I I find it humorous. He's he's a little edgy and I I like edgy. You're a liar! You're you're not just mistaken. You're a liar. Because if you say you have fellowship with perfect light and you're walking in darkness... You're a liar. You don't have fellowship with him because those two don't go together. Perfect light doesn't mix with darkness. I know y'all are feeling a little squirmy right now. It's okay. We're going to we're going to get out. Verse seven. So the point of verse six is walking in darkness or sin is walking outside of fellowship with God. You guys following my points here? Verse 4, fellowship is what produces joy. Verse 5, to fellowship with him, we have to live in the space with him, in the light. Verse 6, walking in darkness or sin is walking outside of fellowship with God. Now, the Father has no problem going out into darkness and rescuing people out of it. But if, if you're going to fellowship with him, you have to come into the light because that's where he lives. Apostle Paul had revelation of who we were in Christ. Do you believe that? Do you think that Paul had a, a good revelation of our standing and our position in Christ? How many think he did? Pretty good. Okay. There's six people that raised their hand. Like, have you read the letters of Paul? All right. So, so let me read you just a passage of Scripture from Paul to the Corinthians and, and see what you think if he complies with what John is saying here. This is... Second Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14, and I'm going to read down through um, chapter 7 and verse 1. Here's what it says. Do not be bound together with unbelievers, for what partnership has righteousness and lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what harmony has Christ with Belial? Or what has a believer in common with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, just as God said, listen, Paul's quoting from the Old Testament. He's quoting from Leviticus and other books. And he's applying it to New Testament believers. For God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Therefore, come out from their midst... And be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch what is unclean, and I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. Therefore, having these promises, beloved. So as the beloved of God, we have these promises. Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Now, how many of you hate preaching about holiness? Like, you, it just, you just don't like it. It's just, let's let's have something upbeat, whatever. Here, I'm talking about fellowshipping and joy. And you can't separate those. We don't have fellowship with God and joy on our own terms. We have it on God's terms. These verses from Paul, who knew who we were in Christ very well, he put those out there to the Corinthians and goes, look, if if you're... If you want to walk in fellowship with the Lord and have the fullness of joy, you have to embrace where he lives, and he lives in perfect light. So walking in the light, verse 7 of 1 John. The point there is walking in the light sustains the fellowship in our relationship with God and with each other. Here's what it says. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light... We have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us, present tense, from all sin. If we walk in the light, as He's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. We have fellowship with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and we also have fellowship with each other. The oneness of the body of Christ is definitely affected by how we walk and by whether we actually have true fellowship with the Father. Because where there's that true fellowship, then the love of the Holy Spirit flows freely between the members of the body. This is part of the issue. This is what sustains true fellowship with God, is that we walk in the light. So what does it mean to walk in the light? Well, I'm going to read verses 8 through 10, and he gives some explanation of what that means to walk in the light. If we say we have no sin... We are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us." There's my edgy brother again. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's so beautiful. If if he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, then what's left? Righteousness. So when we confess our sins, this is part of walking in the light. We take our darkness to the light. I always encourage people, this this is part of sanctification. Guys, we have to fight for the light to be what fills us. When I see darkness, have you ever had a conversation with people and you say something and you know your heart condemns you? Like, I shouldn't have said that. I shouldn't have said that. That had an edge on it. I wanted that to go in and twist. Anybody? Come on, y'all are so righteous. I was thinking smug. Come on, of course you have. We've all felt that that twinge. So what I do is I take this sword because it's a scalpel too. It's got two edges on it, right? One cuts the crud off of us, and one cuts the head off of the devil. Take this sword. Take scriptures. I write them on cards because I'm old school and I don't have a. I don't have an iPad. Just keep me in mind for Christmas next year. No. Next year. You'd have to show me how to use it. I take those verses, and I'll call them out before the Lord. I had this happen not too long ago. There was a brother in this congregation. I'm not going to say who it was. You don't know him anyways. This has been years, but it seemed like super critical. Everything was wrong. Everything was bad. And after a while, it just chafed on me. And uh, we had a text exchange, and some of my texts might have been a little sharper than they should have been. And I knew that my heart wasn't right. I wasn't loving my brother. He irritated that's snot out of me. Um, and, and I said some things. I, I didn't cuss him out, nothing like that. I just, I said some things that were very pointed. And I knew the Holy Spirit's was convicting me. And I'm like, Lord, there's something in me that is ugly and needs to get cleaned out of me. So I'm going to take the word of God. And I took verses like Proverbs 15 where it says a soft answer turns away, anger. And I took one like Ephesians 4.29 that says, let no unhealthy word come out of your mouth. Have you ever let that verse process you really good? Let no unhealthy word come out of your mouth. None, zero, nada. Let no unhealthy word come out of your mouth. But only such a word as is good for edification. It's supposed to build up that it might give grace To the hearer. I'm like, guilty. Wasn't building up. Wasn't edifying. I wanted to do that. And the Holy Spirit said, that's not how I am. That's not what I want. I want you to... Show my loving kindness. Think about how patient I was with you in the early days when I drew you to myself, and you were so messed up. And we had 10,000 things to deal with, but I only dealt with them one or two at a time. Think of how patient you are. I was with you. And so I began to go after that because I need to walk in the light, to walk in fellowship with God my God. Walking in the light is owning it. Verse eight, if we say we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. So I need to own it, right? I'm quick to repent. Walking in the light is being quick to repent. I promise you, if y'all listen and on these last couple of points here, it will help you for the rest of your life. I mean that. Quick to repent. So when I see something wrong, I own it right away. Lord, I was wrong. Please forgive me. Like these are words that we need to learn. We always couch our confession with all kinds of alibis. Well, if you wouldn't have done that, then I wouldn't have either. But you provoked me first and that's why I did. Oh, shut up. (laughs) Just say, I was wrong. I sinned. Please forgive me. Would you forgive me? I'm so sorry. Those words will set you free. And instead of beating around the bush and going, was there Please forgive me if there was anything I said that offended you. Oh, shut up. You sound like an athlete or a politician. That's no confession. All that's saying is it's really your fault if you were offended. It wasn't my fault. But if you got offended because it was your fault, I'm sorry. Oh, great confession. Great humbling of yourself to point the finger at them and go, it's really your fault if you got your feelings hurt. So, no. Come on. We need to learn how to repent. So, we need to own our sin. If we. Say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to cleanse us. Yes, so beautiful. And then verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. So I'm gonna say that walking in the light has to do with this, these three things. Being honest with our sin. Trusting Jesus' blood as the only source of cleansing. And being careful and vigilant to living in the light of his holiness. I think that's what walking in the light means. When we walk that way, the blood of Jesus is constantly cleansing us. Like if you have a backlog of stuff that you've never dealt with, and a lot of believers do, I find this out in just doing counseling. There's things that happened five, ten years before. There's this broken relationship. There's dead bodies all along the road of their life. And like, what in the world? You never dealt with any of that stuff. No, now it's piled up. You, you, we have to deal with our stuff as it comes, and have a clean heart. So let me just do a little side before we go a little further. You guys doing okay? Okay. I went to a Bible school, one of them, where there was a big emphasis, and I just want to bring this out because I think there's misunderstanding here. There was a big emphasis on being righteousness conscious and not sin conscious, okay? This is, comes from E.W. Kenyon's books, if you're familiar. You don't have to belabor that, but th- that was some of our textbooks there. And the point was, out of Hebrews 9 and 10 especially, amazing, the sacrifice of Christ is not like that of bulls and goats. It doesn't just cover, it cleanses all the way down to our conscience and takes away the consciousness of sin. Powerful and beautiful, Yes. But the way that that got morphed into something that is unbiblical and unhealthy is, that means you never talk about sin, you never look at sin, you never really deal with it, you just focus on the righteousness of Christ and everything's going to be okay, and, and the truth is that's just not, that's not accurate. The Bible, we just read a passage where sin was talked about five times in that passage. Paul's writings, it's everywhere. So, so what's the issue? Should we focus on sin or should we not? Well, I'm in agreement with the sentiment that we take ten looks at Christ for every one look at ourselves so we don't sit there as navel gazers in the mirror going, I'm so terrible, I'm going to go out and eat worms. No. No, that doesn't help. We look to Christ because he's our answer, but we have to do what it says here. We have to own our sin, and we have to deal with it through the blood, and we have to deal with it decisively so that we can walk in the light, so that we can have fellowship, so that we can have true joy. Our joy is so often stunted in our Christian walk because we don't have a completely clean heart, and we're still covering and hiding things. That's really real. I found this, when you are really convicted of your sin and you really have been forgiven, you don't care who knows. You don't care who knows. This doesn't matter. God, God knows and God has washed me. So there's this tension and the, the truth in scripture is always held in tension, y'all. Some of the biggest things in scripture, they're held in tension. Are you Arminius or Calvinist? Both. No, you can't be both. Now God predestined me from before the foundation of the world, but also I will preach the gospel because they have to hear, and if they don't hear, they can't believe and be saved. So, so, so there's truth on both sides. So we embrace the tension of both sides, even though we can't neatly put it into categories of our own mind. Are we okay with that? This is true with all biblical truth. So, this is definitely true in this case. So, sin consciousness my experience there was that there was an emphasis on Hebrews 9 and 10. And then, what struck me when I was there is don't be sin conscious, don't think about sin, don't talk about sin. I'm like, well, first of all, I do read the Bible, and that's not what they did. But let's just take the book of Hebrews. Think of all the things that the book of Hebrews says about sin. 313, don't be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Ah, shouldn't have said that. Verse 10, verse, chapter 10, verse 26 in that same chapter. If we go on sinning willfully after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there remains no more sacrifice for sins, only a fearful and terrifying expectation of judgment and of the fury of God's wrath. Uh, Can't talk about that. Now you're being sin conscious. No, I'm just dealing with the issue at hand, which is I need to take all my sin to the and let the blood of Jesus thoroughly cleanse it. I can't ignore it and make it go away. It won't go away. Chapter 12, verse 1. Lay aside every hindrance and the sin which so easily weighs us down. Chapter 12, and verse 4. You have not yet resisted to the shedding of blood in your striving against sin. Well, what are you doing striving against sin, brother? I'm just obeying the Bible. Is that Okay. Do you know the Bible tells us that even though we died to sin? Here's the tension. We died to sin. Jesus decisively defeated sin. How many believe that? He decisively defeated sin at the cross. But he also tells us if you live according to the flesh in Romans chapter 8 and verse 12 and 13, you are on the edge of death. You must die. You will die. But if we, through the Spirit, put to death the deeds of the body, then you'll have eternal life. These are big stakes. Colossians 3.5 says the same things. But all of these things like greed and, and malice and lust and avarice, all those things, he says, kill them. Well, I thought Jesus already killed them. He did. But we have to take the power of what he did by faith and kill them as well. We have to put to death a Jesus body. Here's the tension. Well, which is it? Did Jesus defeat sin? Yes. Did Jesus defeat the devil? Yes. Do we still cast him out? Yes. Do we still have to resist him? Yes. Do we still have to rebuke him? Yes, we do. Because we're the enforcers of what Jesus did, and we're the ones who cooperate to make that thing happen. And so... To say that we should only be righteousness conscious and not sin conscious to me is misleading. And I will tell you the truth that during the time that I was there, I found out my observation was that it created an atmosphere of carelessness and worldliness spiritually. I think that's real. That's that's my observation, but I think that's real. And that's not the Spirit of the Lord. The prophecy of Jesus in Isaiah chapter 11 says that he delighted, he delighted in the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to be careful. One Greek scholar said the word for fear carries the idea of that you have a priceless vase, and that's how you handle it. It's priceless. You don't just go throwing that around and go, here, catch! You, you, you're careful. And in our walk with God, we walk carefully. Scripture teaches that, right? Be careful how you act. The Gentiles are watching you. They're going to see if your profession of faith is real. Because if they see you out at the Bucks game having a fifth of Jack Daniels, they're going to go, what the heck? That dude's all shouty at church. And now he's out here with the boys. Or if you've got a doobie in here. This is old school, right? Do they even still call it doobies? Like, that's what we called it back in the day, okay? It's been a long time, y'all. Token. The Gentiles are watching you. What are we preaching? Is our center of joy? Is the question. And I want to ask this question as well because it's related. And this is something that I never get to say and I just wanted to put it in here. So is that okay? Um, Here's a related question. I hear this all the time. And listen, y'all, listen to me. If you've been in this church for a while, you know I preach hard and I spit and lather when I talk about who we are in Christ and the position we have in Christ. I mean, I'm passionate about it. It's important. It's definitely a big part of the gospel. You don't throw that away. But there's a tension there. And we can't throw this other part away of walking in the light. How does God see us? I've had people tell me multiple times, He only sees us in Christ. So He only sees us as blameless. doesn't matter what we do. He only sees us... I heard a preacher who started multiple Bible schools tell me that if you murder somebody or you rob a bank, it doesn't affect your relationship with God at all. I'm like, hmm, that's really surprising. Uh, I find that hard to find in Scripture. that's because you're being too sin conscious, brother. No. How does God see us? He sees us as blameless and perfect. He sees us as in His Son, but He also sees us in the way that we live our lives. He's not oblivious to the way that we live and the choices that we make. Come on. So here's, here's strong evidence from Scripture. I'm just going to read this passage to you from Revelation. Read the letters to the seven churches. There's seven churches These letters were dictated by the Lord Jesus Christ to the Apostle John, probably around ninety A.D. or so, so sixty, roughly sixty years after his resurrection. So Jesus knew about being in Christ, and all the. Do we believe that Jesus knew what he did when he rose from the dead? Yeah, he did. But listen to how he comes and brings correction to his people. He doesn't say when he comes into these churches. This is a phrase he says over and over again. He doesn't say, I know your position. I know your doctrine. He doesn't say any of that. He says, I know your deeds. I know what you're doing and how you're living. That's what I'm seeing. That's why he came with the flames of fire in his eyes. He wasn't coming to have a revival service in one sense. He was coming to deal with issues that were actually degrading his glory in the churches. I know, it's his sin conscious, but can I give you a secret? You can't repent of your sin if you're not conscious of it. And you can't kill your sin if you don't know it's your enemy. If you're in a warfare, how stupid would it be to say, we're not going to talk about our enemy at all. We're just going to talk about how great our army is and how great our uh, weapons are and how great our tanks are. We're not going to, no, know, we don't talk about that foolishness. We need to know the strategies of the enemy, and we need to know how to take the power that has been released at the cross and defeat him. So how does God see us? I'm going to say he sees us as being blameless and holy, but he doesn't have a problem coming with a sword and a whip to say, hey, you're not living in accordance with the profession of your mouth, and it's not okay with me. It's actually bringing discredit on my name, and it's preaching to everybody that My value to you is not what you say it is on Sunday morning. And that's a problem. Revelation 2, I'm just going to read one here. This is so hard to restrain myself. Um, Revelation 2, verse 19 to 26. It's church of Thyatira. I know your deeds and your love and your faith and service and perseverance and that your deeds of late are greater than at first. Yes, commendation. Praise God. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess, and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things sacrificed to idols. That's talking about sexual impurity and compromise with the culture. That's what it's talking about. She's going, it's really okay. Everything's been forgiven. Don't be unconscious. Just be righteousness conscious. Christ is your righteousness. Everything's good. Don't worry about committing adultery. Don't worry about committing fornication. Don't worry about any of these things because they they're already all forgiven. Everything's forgiven. Nope. He says, I have it against you. I gave her time to repent, and she does not want to repent of her immorality. Behold, this is the gentle Lamb of God now. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness, and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation, unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence, and all the churches will know that I am He who searches the minds and the hearts, and I will give to each one of you according to your deeds. Boom. The risen Lord Jesus talking to his own churches. It's not just the church of Thyatira. Read through all seven letters. There's only two that come out unscathed. And even with those, they weren't awesome. He said to the church of Philadelphia, which is the most celebrated church, you have a little power. What? You're not full of fire and glory. Come on. uh. You have a little power. And that's good. You keep being faithful. Jesus is not a flatterer. How many you have picked that up? He's a redeemer who comes to transform and to change everything. Well, we have to partner with him. Jesus is speaking these words in the seven letters to the righteousness of God. In Christ. And he's saying... If you don't repent, you're not going to like what happens. Because I'm going to purge and cleanse my church. Holy of holy, this is your reasonable Sorry, brother. I didn't hear you, but I'll talk afterwards. My observation of the fruits, like I told you, is that it produces carelessness and I want to encourage you, and I'm just going to read one last scripture uh, real briefly. It's out of 1 Timothy chapter 1. This is part of walking in the light. I want to encourage us to live with a clear and a good conscience before the Lord. Because this matters. First Timothy chapter 1, verses 5 and 6, and then verses 19 through 20. Is so much in this. Thank you all for your patience. I just had a lot loaded up here, and I wanted to get some of it out. So thank you. 1 Timothy 1 verse 5, but the goal of our instruction is love from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. For some men straying from these things have turned aside to fruitless discussions, meaning it leads to false doctrine. And then verse 19 of chapter 1, keeping faith, Timothy, keep faith and a good conscience which some having rejected suffered shipwreck in regard to their faith. I have known people that seemed to be all in with Jesus and would have jumped off the Empire State Building for him, who shipwrecked their faith because they compromised in the small things, little things. I've seen marriages destroyed that were beautiful and brought together by God that had little children involved. One person in particular I'm thinking of, when well, my wife helped disciple, get her established in the Lord. And she confessed that she was having a struggle in a relationship at work, having emotional connection, emotional affair. And we, she sat on the couch in our living room and we got down on our knees and begged her. We begged her Do not do this thing do not do this thing. You need to confess to your husband right now. She wouldn't do it. She went to another pastor who told her, oh, it's all right. What they don't know won't hurt them. Ended up in an affair that destroyed their marriage, and she asked her husband, would it have made any difference if I would have told you that I was struggling up front? He said, it would have made all the difference in the world. But now, I'm not staying with you. Terrible destruction. You go. And I'm not trying to be snarky, but what, what what if we would have said to her, oh, don't be sin conscious. Be righteousness conscious. Jesus is for you. He's already forgiven all of your sins, even though you... No, no! We, we need to walk before the Lord with a clean conscience. When when we do wrong, we need to own it. Like if we're dishonest, if you're dishonest on your, if you cheat on your taxes, then you would probably cheat on your wife. Because there's a root there that has to be gotten out, it's called the flesh, and it's what remains in us when the Bible talks about the flesh. It's all the stuff that remains in us of our mindsets, of our urges, of our passions, of our bents, of our soul, that is not in submission to the Lord Jesus. That's the flesh. And the Bible says, we don't massage it out, we don't ignore it out, we don't cast it out, we crucify it out those who belong to Christ Jesus, Galatians 5, 24, have crucified the flesh with its passions and lusts. That's a very, that sounds very violent. It, It is violent. But listen to what the stakes are. I don't want to see another person shipwreck their life. I don't want to see it again. I've seen too many. And Paul said, if you ignore keeping a good, clean conscience, then you're like the ship that's going on, and they're partying in the middle of the night. And they don't know the iceberg is up there, because the captain's stinking drunk. And when it hits the iceberg and gashes the side, they think, oh, this ship will never sink. It was built to survive any kind of impact. But can I tell you, the Titanic sunk to the bottom and almost everybody on it died. Serious. But this is mostly about, I know this seems really intentional, but this is ultimately about your joy and my joy. We have joy in God when we're all in and when our heart bent every single day is to walk in the light and our heart says every day i just want to do what pleases you today in this hard relationship i just want to do what pleases you i don't want to lie anymore i don't want to do that stuff anymore that's not in the light i want to just walk in the light where you are This is where ultimate joy comes up, and I would wager to say that for the majority of believers that I've known in my life, and I put myself in this category, like we haven't experienced at all the depth of joy that the Father God would want us to have. Because real joy is compelling. It's compelling. You see people that are crazy in love with each other, and you go, dang. when somebody is passionate and Christ is really, we know the lingo, but is Christ really the center of our joy? That's the question. If He is, there's nothing that we give up that even amounts to anything. It's all dung, all of it. Every bit of it is dung because of the surpassing value of knowing for knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. I've sacrificed everything. My career, my reputation. Think of Paul. Harvard educated, double PhD, this dude. I gave all that up. It's all nothing. I just want Jesus. That's a compelling church. That's a compelling life. And I can tell you the truth. The people that know you, when that's the flame that burns inside of your soul, they will be impacted by it. It will impact them. We hope this message has been a blessing to you. If you'd like to join us on a Sunday morning or other weekly gathering, know that you're more than welcome. And if you'd like other resources on or about this ministry or for any deeper questions you may have, be sure to visit our website at hotfmlakeland.com.